Hey, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But, but I can't look at you now. No. Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody. <laughs> Gosh, that was what was that was like a gnome. Um, let's be gnomes. <laughs> We're never getting out of here. Welcome to Dragon Talk. <laughs> Doesn't it sound weird now? I can't. After you say it so many times. Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Shelly Mazzanobo, who won't stop laughing. <laughs> she's she's okay. She'll be back in just a second. I'm fine. There you are. Hello. Are you Shelly? Yes, I am. <laughs> it's good to see you again. Do you see the tears coming out yeah, of my eyes? Yeah, real tears. I'm like seriously crying. <laughs> from laughing. It is from laughing. Yes. Uh, so much fun. I love Dragon Talk. Everything we Sorry. do on this podcast. I mean to yell at <laughs> Is all about blowing out the speakers for all of you people who are listening back at home. Right. And turn the volume down. All now. of the Dungeons and Dragons play that you get uh, from. I, now I'm just talking. It's going to get loud up in here. Right. <laughs> it is going to be loud up in here. Right. Especially in this conversation uh, with someone who is a way more professional person than we are. For sure. Dr. Megan Connell. Yes. That's mm-hmm. what we talked to her about was how can we stop our laughing? When we're trying to do intros she of Dragon Talk. to provide therapy for us. <laughs> it did not work. Did not. No. Uh, so she did talk about some awesome, fun things that she's using Dungeons & Dragons for. Where therapy is, in fact, working. It's true. Yes. With D&D. With D&D. D&D. Therapy. Playing the Dungeons & Dragons with a whole bunch of, uh, uh, you know, youth and yeah. adults, too. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's great. I love it. I love it too, and she's she's doing a lot um, to support our little community. That's and true. To um, help kids and adults, I know, in a right. very unique way. And we talked to her, gosh, almost three months ago. <laughs> this is a very old interview. We recorded it before the timeless. stream of many eyes. I would say timeless. It's timeless, yeah. not old. It's right. timeless. Right. It's it's uh, an internal flame that <laughs> will go on forever and ever. Yes. And uh, so, but yeah, we we recorded this in April, I think, and then we're like, oh, we have to do stuff for the stream of many eyes, right. and uh, we uh, got into that whole machine. And uh, but it was such a great interview. We want to make sure that everyone knew yes. the awesome work uh, that Megan was doing. Uh, so uh, here it is. We're gonna do it in this here podcast. Uh, but we have some other stuff that we want to talk about. What's going on with uh, Avalon Hill? Anything fun that people need to know about? I know we've talked about two games. Right? What if there was a third? No. What if? I don't even want to... I'm not saying there is, but what if there was? And what if it had something to do with D&D? No. I'm just going to keep saying no over and over again. I mean, that would be cool. I mean, yes, that would be cool. Yeah. I don't. I mean, there's not. It's a hypothetical. Totally hypothetical. Right. <gasps> oh, my God. I just want to say it. You are not doing a very good job of keeping secrets. I'm just throwing that out there. What are we really waiting for? Can I roll uh, in inside check on yes. you right there? Oh, that's a natural 20. It's a card game. <gasps> what? I didn't mean to say it. It's a Dungeons and Dragons card no, game? No, it's not. Sorry again. That's awesome. Well, moving on. Really? All right. Well, I like you dropping bombs. You're learning from the master. That was a bomb. Nathan Stewart. He knows how to spoil with I the just, best of them. I might have just scooped him because he was going to scoop me. Ah. I pre-scooped the scooper. The preemptive scooper. The preemptive scooper. Pooper. Pooper. 
<laughs> I love that Ryan knew we were going to cackle very loudly on that I, one. Yeah. And very smartly. Cackle. Turned us down. Yeah. It should yeah. be called Dragon Cackle. Dragon Cackle. Yeah. All right. Look for it in stores in November. What's happening with Dungeons and Dragons? Well, I'm glad you asked, oh, Shelley. Do you have some news for us? We do have tons of news. Uh, so Waterdeep Dragon Heist is an amazing adventure that's coming out in Game stores on September 9th. You can get it everywhere September 18th. It is all about intrigue, deception, diplomacy, insight, all of the checks that I just rolled against you to find out that amazing card game. Uh, all came from uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Do you like deception and deceit and backstabbing and all those other adjectives you just said? Then you'll love Dragon Heist. And you'll love. Sounds like you could be into the Real Housewives. I, oh, it's just, I'm now. That was a little stealth. Uh, way to get me into the game. I like it a lot. Excited about those things. It's true. Uh, and then, of course, we have Dungeon of the Mad Mage coming hot on its heels November 2nd in game stores and November 13th everywhere else. It details what's going on in Undermountain as well as Skullport, uh, the you know d- hive of den and scummery. No, that's what's the t- what's the quote from the Star Wars? You know the the hive the den of hi- oh man scum and villainy. That's mm-hmm. it. Scum and villainy. I was going to say that. That's it. You were totally, it was like around the tip of your I knew it was something with a V. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, Tons of levels underneath uh, Undermountain. I think there's 25 of them. Could be more. Of levels that you can explore. And none of the maps that we have uh, are complete. They go off into tangents and corners. So you can paint in your own little corner of Undermountain and uh, uh, show off your chops as a dungeon master, which I think is pretty cool. That is. We also talked about Adventures Outlined. Have you seen this yet? The coloring book from Todd James? I've seen it. I've seen I've heard lots about it. But it's I don't think stuff. I've actually ever seen the finished product. It will be coming very soon. August twenty first. Cool. It'll be out everywhere. Todd James did all the illustrations. They are all uh non color, so they're all like line drawings, so you can color them in as you will. And then on the facing page is some cool little tidbits of text from Adam Lee, one of the amazing writers here, who started his career as a greeting card writer. Amazing. Yeah. So he used those greeting card things uh, to make us all fall in love with the monsters Aww. of Dungeons & Dragons all over again. Adam. I know. It's good stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, you can check out what's happening if you're at San Diego Comic-Con uh, Adventures Online because Todd James will be there at the Bait uh, Store Within the Gaslamp District, which just sounds very almost like a district that would be in Waterdeep or something like that. But it's in San Diego. Uh, You can go check it out. And uh, Nathan Stewart will be there. Pelham Green will be there. Satine Phoenix will be there. Awesome. uh, As well as some other special guests, including Todd James and uh, and stuff. So it will be your first chance to take a look at the actual physical product. Shelly and I haven't seen it yet. You can see it. And San Diego. And tell us how it is. Tell us how it is. And it's, when is that? That is during San Diego Comic Con, which is uh, July. It is July 19th through the 22nd. Boom shakalaka. All right. Cool stuff happening there. We also, of course, would love to, everyone to check out the Roll20 Character Master. It is available on Roll20 right now. You can uh, purchase the player's handbook within Roll20 and then do a step-by-step creation guide of your character within that online tool, which is super cool. Very. I just rhymed tool and cool. Did you yeah. know Yeah. What do you think about that? I think that makes me drool. <laughs> you wouldn't be a fool... If you uh, loved the Endless Quest books uh, that are written by Matt Forbeck that are coming out 
<gasps> September 4th. I took one home. Did you read it? I mean, I'm taking one home tonight. You took one home, and you're going to read it I to Quinn. fired it from Hillary. Very good stuff. There's four of them. Yeah. Uh, four classes. There's uh, fighter, rogue, cleric, and wizard. Uh, one of them has to do with the city of Waterdeep. I think it's the thief one. Ooh, uh, that would make sense. It's all set in Waterdeep, which is also very I cool. I took home the fighter. The fighter. Which I think is Undermountain? Escape the Underdark. Underdark. Oh, the Underdark. Underdark. Yeah. Under. Over. Overdark. See, I like Underdark, but now I want to create an Overdark. What's happening there? It's darkness, sounds like. Imprisoning me. All that I see. Absolute horror. Uh, <laughs> Gale Force 9 has some awesome cool stuff coming out, including Nolzor's Marvelous Pigments, uh, which are paints. There's never been D&D branded paints before, at least to my knowledge. Correct me if I'm wrong, Twitterverse. Uh, but this is very cool. And uh, so you get 10 war paints in the Adventurer paint set, a brush plus the Minsk. Oh, uh, miniature, which is Cute. very cool. Uh, monster paint set, which has 36 war paints. I love that they call them war paints. That yeah. means that you're, you're pretty badass. Uh, with an owlbear miniature, uh, plus a set of brushes is also available for you out there. Cool. Um, and Gale Force Nine is also doing some cool stuff with a board game. Vault of Dragons, set in Waterdeep. Uh, one of my favorite bits from the stream of many eyes was JP uh, demoing this board game for all of the denizens of the Yawning Portal. That's really cool. During the stream of many I eyes. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was good stuff. Um, we have a lot of fun things happening here on the uh, D&D Twitch channel. If you haven't watched me and Shelly record this craziness live. That's you, fun. It's really fun. We do some crazy things. You can watch us on Mondays at like 2 p.m. Pacific time. Till about 4.30 or 5 p.m. Pacific time doing fun stuff, at least for this month. Um, but there's also uh, great D&D shows out there, including Dark and Dicey, uh, which is on Mondays at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, there's also the Dice Camera Actions. Guess what's happening in Dice Camera Action World this weekend? What? A crossover between them and Acquisitions Incorporated, the C-Team. How? Five games. Yeah, mixing up both rosters. It is going to be Dungeon Mastered by Chris Perkins or by Jerry Holkins. Oh, um, wow. And then on Sunday, uh, they're going to be two DMs for eight player characters. The entire cast Jerry in person. And Chris? Jerry and Chris are going to be co-DMs? DMogorganging it. Well, oh, they that, might be in the same t-shirt. Just throwing good. it out there. That was really good. It's good, right? Yes. Yeah. They're going to do Did it. Two-headed monster. No. I didn't make it. I think that came out of this year's podcast, though. I think oh, we did really say it. Good. Uh, my, it might have been a, a joke that Chris said during uh, a Laurie Chano segment or something like that. I like yeah, it. But now it's coming true because everything Chris Bergen says eventually does come true. Yeah, he's good like that. Uh, so go check that out if you can. It's, again, it's this uh, weekend, uh, which is, in case you didn't know and are listening to this after that, it is uh, July 14th and 15th. So uh, we will be having all those episodes up on the Dice Camera Action podcast form. Uh, we'll have those all up there, five episodes, as well as um, uh, you'll be able to watch it both here on the D&D channel and the Penny Arcade Twitch channel. Very cool. Lots of stuff yep. back and forth. I like I like um, creating like a, you know, a cinematic universe of all Dungeons & Dragons know, like streams coming together. Crossover. It's cool. Yeah. Um, also, make sure you check out uh, what's happening this weekend uh, in uh, Rivals of Waterdeep also uh, happening this weekend. I've been loving that uh, group and all of the storytelling they have been coming out with. They actually did their first three episodes were a prequel to their uh, 
episode that they recorded during the stream of many eyes. So now they're all caught up and uh, hilarity is going to ensue for all. And then, of course, Hell's Bells is at 6 p.m. Pacific time, also on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, this Sunday's got a lot of Dungeons and Dragons happening on it, which uh, I think I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Good for everyone. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that's everything I'm going to talk about for this. Let's throw it Great. to some segments. What do you think about that? I love it. You like it? Yep. All right. Segment. Now, bong, bing, bing, bong. Welcome to Lore You Should Know. This is uh, Greg Tito, and I have a lore master, Mr. Chris Perkins. Hi there. We are going to talk in this segment about little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore to uh, use in your game or just for funzos. Today, we're going to talk about born-again monsters, which means, of course, monsters that die but never really die. They can come back and hurt you very much so. Monsters that keep coming back. For more. There is a lot of that in Dungeons & Dragons. There sure is. Because. Dot, dot, dot. Why? Yeah, why? Why are there a lot of Um, Dungeons & Dragons? Well, I I think it just ties into uh, their stories. Uh, Sometimes just simply taking the monster down is not satisfying. It's interesting to see the monster get back up or to come back later to terrorize you after you think you've destroyed it. Mm. I think that's just kind of a thing that uh, makes a lot of monsters cool. Uh, sort of like the the Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees theory, which is you killed him, but did you? And will he come back in a different form exactly. or surprise you in a different yeah. way? Right. So, and it also plays with the trope of like, you know, okay, you kill monsters, get loot, blah, 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 rinse, right. repeat. If you yeah. mix up that yeah. sequence, it gets more fun. Yeah. So the monster that you kill and then comes back somehow is kind of an archetype, I think, um, in – Society and D and D just plays with that archetype in a number of ways. Yeah. Uh, what are some of your favorites? So I think one of the classics is the Tarasque, mm. which is a monster that, according to legend, you can kill, but then it will just show up somewhere else at some point. Um, that its its essence or whatever can never truly be destroyed, and that's one of the things that makes it utterly terrifying. It also explains how it can get around from one person's world to another person's world. Because in theory, it is, it is said that there's only one of them. Oh, I did not so know that. It's the Tarasque, not a Tarasque. And so when you face it and you defeat it, it's like, yay, we killed the Tarasque. We're so great. We're going to get all this XP. And then it shows up somewhere else for some other party to have to deal with later on. It's like a whack-a-mole situation. Right. But canonically, there is also, there's also some fringe lore that came out of Spelljammer, which says there is, in fact, a planet of Tarasks. And that's where they constantly come from. Right. And, and whenever one dies, another one just sort of disappears, taken from the planet by some super force and dropped in an unsuspecting world to terrorize it. Yeah. And, but the Tarasks are like super monsters. They're very large, yes, right? Yes, they're enormous. They're gargantuan. Right. And they stomp through cities and basically flatten buildings and all that kind of thing. And you cast spells at them and the spells reflect. But when they die, they appear to die, and then suddenly... They might pop up somewhere else. Does, so that's, their, does that's, their mass go away? Like, does their body? No, their carcass can stay there. Um, a DM might describe it as you know, just it just putrefies like a whale on a beach, or yeah. it uh, turns to stone, or 
um, and just sort of collapses over hundreds of years or whatever. Or people build houses on top of it. Or God knows why. It becomes a mountain yeah, mountain right. range. Yeah, yeah. And and it could be that in your campaign, it's not truly dead and never can be truly dead. So it might awaken again sometime, even though it's a carcass or a, a stony fossilized corpse. Right. That's one way to, yeah. to tell the story. Yeah, that yes. makes sense. Um, there are monsters uh, throughout fifth edition that have an ability called rejuvenation. Mm. And it, it functions a little differently with each monster. Like no two monsters rejuvenation is exactly the same. Uh, but what that really means is after the monster dies, it finds a way to reincorporate itself. And good examples of rejuvenating monsters in fifth edition are the flame skull, which you can destroy it. But if you don't sprinkle it with holy water right. or cast a remove curse or similar spell on it, that flame skull will reform uh, out of its remains. Mm-hmm. The bits of shattered skull or whatever will fly together and suddenly it's made whole again. That's how its rejuvenation works. Compared to the mummy lord, which has something and, and the lich, which are both creatures that have some device that as long as that device exists – lets them come back a certain time after they've been destroyed. So in the mummy's case, it's its shriveled black heart. Mm. If you don't burn the heart, the mummy will reform next to its heart. In the case of a lich, of course, there are phylacteries, um, which are these devices that often look like little boxes with inscriptions inside of them that basically are used as receptacles by liches to store souls that they can use to rejuvenate their form um, over time. So if you destroy a lich but its phylactery has survived, that lich will rejuvenate fully 1d10 days later within proximity to its phylactery. Only a stupid lich keeps its phylactery with it um, because if the characters find it too easily, they'll be able to destroy the lich forever. Yeah. The same thing with the mummy lord. The mummy lord will tuck its heart away somewhere that adventurers can't get to easily, um, but that they can reform near if they have to. Uh, and so it rejuvenates them. I love that uh, stupid lich is basically an oxymoron because they have to be powerful <laughs> they, right, wizards. They're super geniuses. They so have to. Yeah. Put your phylactery in a safe spot. Don't tuck it in your pants. <laughs> this has been a PSA for all exactly. you liches out there. Right. Another creature that has a rejuvenation trait is the naga, which... Even if you destroy it, you can't destroy it permanently unless you cast a wish spell. Otherwise, it will re- reform. And in proximity as well or just reform anywhere? Uh, wherever. Yeah. yeah. Probably, probably near where it died. Um, now, that's the rejuvenation aspect of the, the Naga is, is not something that's been true of it in every edition. Uh, it, was, it was added for the story of the creature, um, given that it's, it is this kind of ancient, timeless serpentine form yeah which is always plaguing certain peoples and that makes sense for it to come back again and again uh as you can tell going through this conversation many of the creatures that are these sort of born again are undead Um, ghosts are another example they don't have rejuvenation per se but if if a ghost is not properly laid to rest if you just kill it it will reform um the only way to to get rid of it absolutely for sure is to basically help it fulfill whatever task is binding it to the world right and that always that always um, that hasn't always been true in all editions right that's no that sometimes was... sometimes the ghost you can just carve up and it goes away and you never see it again unless the dm decides that it right. wants to reappear huh. uh, but in in certain editions uh, early on and in fifth edition 
uh, we really wanted to play up the idea that the ghost, as long as it has unfinished business, its tether to the mortal world remains. And what I like about that is that it, you, you know, you have to complete a story. You have to yes. to, to follow along the lines yep. and use other things beyond combat to, yep. to to vanquish something. Revenants have an interesting form of rejuvenation, which mm. is if you destroy their bodies, they will basically their life force, which is all driven by vengeance, will find another corpse, usually in a graveyard, and animate it. So basically, it just finds a new corpse and animates it. It's like an intelligent zombie, basically. So you can kill the revenant that's coming after you for murdering him, um, but his, he'll keep coming back his friends, in a new body. Yeah, and it's still looking after the. And is it similar to the ghost where you have to complete whatever it is? Well, like vengeance basically, is? he has to, either the revenant has to fulfill its vengeance in a certain period of time. And I believe currently it's like a few days, not mm-hmm. like years, but it might be years. I don't know. Um, if it doesn't fulfill, its, if it doesn't get its vengeance in a fixed amount of time, its spirit no longer has the strength to continue to pursue its quest, and it just kind of dies. So it's it's got yeah. like a time bomb kind of element right. to it, where yeah. like you must do it fast, or yep. it's going to uh, lose its magic potency. Exactly. I'm just trying to see exactly what we said about the Revenant, and boop, 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 boop. And it's, it's in here. It's in the Watcher Manual. Check it out. <laughs> you guys can read it. This is good yeah, content. Exactly. <laughs> it's all good content. I, um, I love that you've gotten very good through desk camera action of like, you know, the, the, the looking up rules sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's <laughs> a, whole set, there a whole set of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, a different kind of uh, creature that uh, comes back are a lot of the fiends. So getting away from undead, if you destroy a demon on the material plane, it discorporates and turns into horrible, wretch, stinking ichor, ichor, and then it goes back to the abyss, and that reforms into itself right. again. Right, and the only way to permanently kill, kill them is, is on the, the abyss. The Same thing with devils. You know, you go to hell if you want to. You go to hell if you want to kill a devil forever. Otherwise, you're basically just destroying a version of it. Um, and even if you kill a devil in the nine hells, its essence basically. Um, occupies a lemur mm-hmm. and it can basically climb its way back up through the infernal hierarchy um, to get its vengeance against you maybe hundreds of thousands of years later. Because I was going to ask about the, the, the idea of the soul, right? Like, or like something like that. Like the, right. the soul never really goes yeah. away. It's right. not it just sort of moves destroyed. to somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it can be, if you have a particularly vengeful devil that you've destroyed on the material plane, it can return after reforming its body in the nine hells, and if you kill it on the nine hells, it will occupy. A, it will become a lemur demon, or lemur devil, and then work its way up through the chain. And you'll probably be dead and gone by the time it gets to a form that's posing any serious threat. But it'll, you know, kill your great grandchildren or whatever. So it can be very, very hard to dispose of fiends forever because of that. Right. Um, Is there? Uh, are there any other uh, uh, monsters that come back over time? Um, let's see. There are some obvious ones. The troll. Regenerating. Right. It's got regeneration. Even if you kill it, it will regenerate unless it's burned with fire or acid. There's always a way to prevent it from happening. Yeah. But with every monster, it's got its own shtick. And so D&D players kind of have to either know the shtick or figure it out somehow. Vampires have, if you reduce them to zero hit points, they turn to mist and have to crawl back to their um, coffins, 
where they basically reform but are kind of like paralyzed. They're in sort of a comatose state mm. until they've rejuvenated. And it's during that period when they're basically paralyzed in their coffins that you can only kill them forever. So if you kill the vampire, it will come back unless you find its coffin, find it in its coffin, drive either, you know, murder it by chopping up, chopping it up the little bits or cutting off its head or whatever. Um, if you're worried about it getting up and, you know, attacking you, drive a stake through its heart and then kill it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and then murder it. And right. then burn yeah. it with fire. Yeah, yes. just to be sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but you bring up a good point here, though, too, which is, I mean, player knowledge versus mm-hmm. character knowledge, right? And mm-hmm. how, how I'm sure, you know, Dungeon Masters listening to this right now are like, well, if my just players know all the tricks, how can I keep these kind of monsters being fun? That's a very good question, and one of the techniques that um, that expert DMs that I know use is that they'll change things slightly. Mm. So um, if you are worried about the characters knowing all there is to know about the D&D vampire, then change the lore, you know, uh, the circumstances by which they can be killed permanently. It may not be possible to simply kill them by going to their coffins you may have to find some some artifact or some relic or something that is basically empowering the vampire soul or something like that and have to destroy it or you might have to pour something on the vampire and dissolve its body so it's not simply chopping up in little bits you need some kind of corrosive acid or something Yeah. so a, a, a clever DM can play with the norms and, and switch things up a little bit. Um, Do you, what, what about players who then are like, wait, why is every single time I know this knowledge, I, I, don't, I can't use it? Is, is, is it? Would you use that only sparingly, or would you do yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think it's a case of if, if I were the DM and I felt like the, the players were kind of trying to munchkin or min-max their way out of this, yeah. uh, like they, weren't, they were abusing the knowledge rather than kind of playing to their characters. Yeah then I would, I would throw maybe a, a wrench into their plans and maybe drop some clues ahead of time that this is not a normal vampire. Uh, you know, if this vampire was bred in sort of a salt marsh or something like that, maybe salt is the only way that you can really kill it for good. Give it some reason. So, yeah, you, you sort of link a clue that they can t- trace back to the origin story of the vampire. I like that. Um, so that's one way to do it. Uh, if, if they are, if they do have the knowledge, but the knowledge has been earned or it's in keeping with their character then that's fine. You don't have to change the monster dramatically. Right. If it's a vampire hunter who, like, of course would know right. the ins and the outs exactly. of vampires, like, yeah. yes, right. reward them for that. Yes. Or if they found choice. some sort of book that basically talked about, yeah. you, know, that, you know, how this vampire was made or whatever, and it sort of it gives them the, the, the steps that they have to take to go forth, then there's no reason to switch up the formula in that case. And that's essentially what you did for, for Curse of Strahd in a way, was like this yes. is a very special right. vampire lord who's, who's running this thing, and these exactly. are the, the X yep. and the Ys that yep. you need to do to make it happen. Um, and there's no reason why a DM can't turn any monster into basically a born-again monster. A DM can, with under narrative circumstances, basically say that this monster cannot be killed or if it is killed, we'll come back unless this happens. Unless, you know, the town uh, cleric learns to smile again. Or they, you know, dig up the bones of this ancient paladin and actually, you know, stab the bones through the monster to kill it. Um, 
there may there may be you know all these things that they have to do to do it, and it could be any monster. You know, it could be an aboleth, it could be a mind flayer, it could be whatever you want. A DM has the power to to um, make monsters harder to kill. The trick is just to make it sensical and to give drop enough little clues to allow the players to figure it out. Right. You don't want it to feel like right. you're just hand-waving, like, oh, by the way, this yes. monster's never going to die. Right. You, know, you have to make it feel like it's, yeah. it has impact. But nothing is more terrifying than the flesh golem that refuses to die. You know, like you've done everything you're supposed to. Statistically, it says, you know, you can destroy a flesh golem once it gets to zero hit points. That's not a problem. But if the DM keeps having it sit back up and come after you, then there's something terrifying about that. There is something terrifying about it, and uh, not all flesh golems are created equal. It's true. They're all different because they're all created on their own. Well, creations, particular constructs in particular, are fun because you can, within the narrative confines of the creature, Mm -hmm. create exceptions and justify them and say, okay, yeah, this clay golem was made a special way or for a special purpose and so it can only be destroyed in a special manner. Yeah. And the and players won't go, well, that's not fair. <laughs> no, that's the story of why this creature was made or how this creature was made. You know, this creature can only be killed by a child, an innocent child. Why? There's got to be a story reason. Okay, so let's go find an you know. Yeah. I love that idea. Now I'm going to use that because, right? Right, yeah. Children. It's like the, for instance, like Oni are fun monsters. Yes. Um, they're child-eating, ogre-like creatures that live on the fringes of society. Um, but you can imagine a situation, even though statistically in the Monster Manual you can kill an Oni normally, that maybe the only way to kill an Oni is to have a child recite a, a, a bedtime story to it. Oh. So you have to capture the Oni, tie him up with rope, and have a child come by and recite a fable that drives the Oni insane and causes his head to explode. <laughs> Um, because there's a poetic justice to that. Yeah. Like you prey on children while this innocent child is going to destroy you. I love that. Yeah. Cool stuff. All right. Well, great. Now I'm like, you know, super inspired and jazzed up to run some more D&D. There we go. Nice. Yeah. Well done, Chris Bergens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how can people uh, get in touch with you if they want to ask you some more fun questions? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Awesome. All right. Well, great. Thank you so much. We'll be back with another uh, Lower You Should Know segment. Next week. I love that interview. That was so good. I loved that segment. Chris is very good at telling me all the things I need to know about all the lores. He's very gracious with his knowledge. He likes to spread the lore around like it's a uh, bit of butter on a lore piece of toast. Oh, yeah. Lore butter. Yummy. On the toast of our lives. Maybe yeah. put some cinnamon and sugar <gasps> on there, too. Put it in the I oven. need to have toast tonight. I kind of want some cinnamon toast. When's the last time you had cinnamon toast? No. Have I you ever done have, that? No, I have, but it's been a while. But you know who eats cinnamon toast kind of often? Yeah. Bart. Really? Like on the so reg? So often that I even got him one of those little um, grinders that actually has um, the sugar and the cinnamon in it. Oh. So he can just go right that's there. Really, I wonder if it's a Midwestern thing because my, my family mm-hmm. did it too, but they were Pennsylvania. I guess that's kind of. That's um, not Midwestern. I know, but ish. 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 No. No, not at all. It's a Rust Belt. Does that count? Rust Belt. Rust like cinnamon. It's cinnamon. That's where that's it all why comes it's together. called the Rust Belt. Now it all makes sense. Oh man! You know who would know the answer to this? Chris Perkins or Dr. Megan Connell or Dr. Megan. We should make sure the next time we have her on because I don't think we asked her during this interview. 
Uh, but next time around, we'll ask her all about that. For sure. Sound like a plan? Yes. All right. But for those of you who haven't heard this episode or this interview, let's uh, give a listen right now to uh, Dr. Megan Connell. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Dr. Megan Connell joining us. So excited. Hello. Hello. You are calling all the way from the East Coast. Uh, yes. How is that going in uh, in Charlotte? <laughs> it is lovely in Charlotte. We're experiencing uh, a cold spring, but it's all right. I, I'm confident summer will come and be extraordinarily hot soon enough. Right. So we can complain about how hot things are. Yes. I spent five, yeah, I do that too. I spent five years in Durham, North Carolina, so I know the mosquitoes well. Oh, yeah. Don't miss yeah, that. Yeah, that will be coming soon. <laughs> you have a brief respite uh, for now, so uh, you can have all of your D and D campaigns be about uh, swatting those. Uh, what are the what are the bug type sturges? You got to kill all the sturges. Yes. <laughs> as much as you can. Uh, so uh, you are a clinical psychologist, right? Yes, I'm a board certified clinical psychologist uh, practicing uh, here at Southeast Psych in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm also a therapeutic dungeon master, and I run two therapeutic D and D groups. Gosh, this I just love is amazing. The, I just love the idea of there being a title of therapeutic dungeon master. Yes. I mean, kind of all dungeon masters are a little bit therapeutic. <laughs> you have to do a little master. bit every single time. <laughs> Everyone I've had kind of ends up that way. That's true. But this uh, is amazing. This is exactly the kind of thing I just love talking about. D&D is therapy. You've actually like done that. this. You're doing this. Yeah, yeah, I have the two groups. We've been doing it for just over a year now. Uh, I've got one group that's a social skills group that was actually inspired by uh, Dr. B, who I know you guys have had yeah. on the podcast before. Uh, and then I actually, I think I have the only one of its kind. It's an all-girls group where we're focused on learning empowerment and leadership through playing D&D. That's really Which cool. Which is amazing. How, yeah. uh, how, did, how did, well, so you, you said Dr. B might have been you know, the inspiration, but how did the girls groups uh, start? What was the inspiration behind that? Part of it was I just didn't feel like there were enough girls gaming. And a lot of girls kind of had this idea of like, oh, d and is kind of a boys thing. And play pretend is such a girls thing. Like right. if you think about little girls growing up, it's playing house and doing all these different scenarios and imagination play. And that's exactly what D&D is, just with a little bit of structure. And so I wanted to bring more girls to the table and get them playing and hopefully start getting them dungeon mastering soon. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've got several who are actually interested in uh, stepping behind the screen, really? so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. So how old are these girls? Uh, we, The group is advertised for 13 to 18, but we actually just had an 11-year-old join our group, but she's like right in there with everybody else in the midst of things. So, Were they new to D&D when they started? Most of them are. A few of them have had a little bit of experience, but for the most part, uh, they're all brand new to playing, uh, and so we're doing a campaign all together, and uh, we're doing a uh, Rise to Tiamat-type campaign where uh, they are trying to prevent Tiamat from rising, but I'm not following the module at all. It's just sort of whatever comes up, and we're throwing that stuff at them. So when they when they opted into this group, did they know what this group, what the intention of this group was? Or is that kind yes. of like behind the scenes? Oh, no, no, no. I'm very upfront about it that it's to, you know, I tell them I've got two big goals with the group. Is One is to teach them how to play D&D because I want more girls to play, but also I want them to feel empowered. I want, you know, by the time they finish at my table, I want them to be able to go to any game store. And if someone's trying to railroad over them and say, no, you don't know how to play for them to be able to go, no, I know how to play. Mm. Leave it. <laughs> right. It's my turn. I'm going to do what yeah. I want. Don't need yeah, your advice. Yeah, roll the dice the way I want to roll, you know, yeah. do all that. <laughs> wow. So I have. So it's only been for a year, you said? 
So the girls group, uh, we started that. Yeah, we've been doing that for just we're coming up on our year anniversary. Year anniversary. Of that. And it's been the same girls throughout? We've had a few mixes, a few changes up, um, but we've got we've had one group of girls that have been consistent right now, I think since September. Uh, that have been coming. And what we what I do with that group is they start at level two and then they progress through. And anybody who either changes a character or joins the group starts at level two. So we actually have a very wide range of levels at this point. I think the highest level is uh, level six. And then we've got our level twos just went up to three. Oh, so. Wow. How do you manage uh, that, uh, the different kind of power levels? Is it is a map into the game of being like, oh, these people have more experience so they can teach the younger uh, or the, you know, the newbies into the group? Yeah, I have the um, girls who have been playing longer definitely mentor the younger girls. And then um, there's just also just a lot of just kind of natural play. I don't worry too much about having to balance the encounters. Um, I figure I throw enough stuff at them. I try tend to overpower things, and then if it's looking like it's too bad of a fight, then I'll you know, decrease it as we go. But uh, for the most part, it hasn't been a problem having people be different levels. So it's but worked really well. So how... that was actually something that was inspired by another one of the podcasts you guys did where I'm forgetting the gentleman's name, but he's been running a campaign for over 30 years. Oh, um, yes. Uh, Robert was his first name. I'm, I'm blanking on his last name. But yeah, the 34 year, which is probably up to like 35, 36 years now since we spoke. Yeah. To him. <laughs> Yeah. But he was talking about how he'll have level 1 through 20 in a group, and it works well. So I thought, well, I guess we can try that and see if it's working, and it's working really well. Which is kind of like how it would be if D&D mm-hmm. were real. Like, yeah. I mean, like, you wouldn't all probably be the same level. Right. There it was this sense. idea in, uh, like, OD&D that you would have, you know, the, the main group or, the, like, the, 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 the tight-knit group of heroes would be higher level, and then there would be lower level along with everybody and learning and, and, and mentoring up along that side. Yeah. And that kind of is shifted away from that when there's less henchmen or henchwomen or henchpeople now. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to, to have that relationship back into it. It's kind of like a Samwise Gamgee, uh, Frodo Baggins type thing. Yes, yeah. Yeah, the, when I read about, about your, your girls group, it made me wish I had a girl. I don't have a boy. Um, you can borrow mine. I want to take Greg's girls. I want to fly them all the way to Charlotte. I want them to be. I think this is just such a cool idea. And it's just using D&D to help um, with the empowerment, of course. But also, like you know, it also it's important for girls to learn at an early age to look out for each other. That girls mm-hmm. should be, you know, protective of one another. When you get to a certain age, it's easy for girls to start getting really competitive with one another. Yeah. For, like unnecessarily. Like we really need to. We really need to like. Band together. So how do you? This is going to be a divergence. How do you justify that with your fandom of the Bachelorette? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm supporting them by watching them. Okay. All right. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. <laughs> a lot of them do look out for each other in the house. I guess they that's share true. bottles of Chardonnay together. They share. That's true. I guess there <laughs> the are. There are, there are. <laughs> that's all they share. I don't the know. Chardonnay. Maybe Dr. Megan can answer that question. Yeah. I think you need some therapy. It's interesting you bring that up, though, because I did a parent feedback session with some of the parents, and uh, one of them who came in was talking about how he has watched his daughter with her friends from school and then her friends from D&D, and he said that friends from school, there's always this underlining meanness yes. when they talk to one another. It's competitiveness. They do these backhanded compliments. And he said, whenever she's around her D&D friends, it's just supportive. It's just fun. See? Lift each, lift they each lift other each up. Other up. And know. it is true. When I Today, when I drop my son off at preschool, these are four-year-olds. And you can already see it. 
there was one girl she didn't want to do the thing the other girl wanted her to do and the the look that that other one shot her like it was just like mm, you're gonna do this thing and I was mm-hmm. like oh oh let's just let's go to the swings Quinn let's move on let's get out of here but it's true like it does it it's it's a thing that like I don't know how it happens I don't know why yeah. it happens but. Oh, no, it happens a lot. And so that's why uh, I've been trying to teach my girls so much about that they're, you know, that my, they're sisters. I have a, four, a four-year-old and a six-year-old uh, that, you know, they get into fights like they always do about, like, one of them. And it's usually in, in the play pretend situations, one person mm-hmm. wants the other to say something or, or act a certain way. And I'm constantly trying to tell them, like, you know, you guys, you have to work together. You have to compromise. Yeah. You can give suggestions about how the other should play, but if you're dictating that's no fun uh, for, yeah. for the other person. It's about uh, finding a story together. Oh, that's where like doing the yes ands can be a really great tool of saying, you know, I, I want to do this. Okay, yes, and or yes, but this happens. Yeah, yeah. that's an old improv uh, uh, yep. adage there, and that really helps. It uh, does. So- it gets everything going at the table really well. So when you're, uh, uh, you know, uh, doing D&D as therapy uh, for people, is it, is it people that have, uh, uh, you know, um, they, they come to you for help or is it more of, uh, I think this is just a, a good thing for all people to have? It's a little bit of a mix of both. So some of them are clients of either myself or other providers at the practice. Um, and we have a couple who are just coming for D&D. But we're focused on just, you know, we're not necessarily diving into let's explore your anxiety or let's explore this particular issue that you're having. (laughs) We're more exploring universal themes. Uh, We've been dealing with bullies. um, So because it is, you know, Rise of Tiamat, we've got, uh, they're dealing with the different chromatic dragons and those different types of personalities. And so there's a, a very big bully that they're having to deal with and try to figure that person out and who are they really and what's going on. And, uh, they're targeting certain players, too, and so the other players are learning how to stand up for each other and help each other out and bolster confidence. Uh, and then this past week, I tried something new that I think went really well, and it was awesome, is I had another provider come in and actually play a character uh, who was um, basically had been enthralled by a dragon in human form and was stuck in this relationship where she was being isolated from her family and her friends having to give up everything. And so the players were then challenged with getting her out of this bad relationship. Mm. And so it was a very real-life situation that a therapist who did this with me, uh, she actually specializes in the treatment of trauma and helping women who have been in abusive relationships. So she knew all of the stuff that gets people locked into oh, that. And, and uh, so at the end, they actually ha- did talk her out of it. And, you know, of course, the 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 boyfriend revealed himself to be a black dragon, and so now they get to fight it this week. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, similar situations. D and D, where you can those. actually fight your fight your demons and your abusers. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get that where you don't get that in real life. But exactly. one of the, my favorite things was at the end of that uh, game, a couple of the girls were stopping and going, "I understand why she got pulled into this relationship, and I can kind of see what the warning signs were, and I think wow. I can get." how I could have gotten stuck into something like that too. And now I kind of know what to look for. That's amazing yeah. right there. I w- yeah. That kind of, you, you mentioned earlier too, that when you were with the, the bullies and they were mm-hmm. facing different personalities and it kind of also teaches them maybe a little bit of, of empathy because they're seeing a kind of seeing a bully for what they are. Like there's something wrong with that person too. There's, I mean, they wouldn't be doing the things they're doing if they were just, 
happy-go-lucky right. person. There's something yep. going on there too. So like recognizing those those personality triggers or traits, that's another really good benefit that they can kind of put themselves in those person's shoes too. Yeah, that's something that's wonderful about you know just tabletop role-playing games in general is you can make your NPCs so dynamic. Whereas in you know they can have a interesting backstory and interesting story in computer games, but how you interact with them has obviously pre-programmed in and they've got a couple of NPCs that they're interacting with in this game that could become big villains depending on how they interact with them mm. or they be, could become their strongest allies. Mm-hmm. So I'm, sorry. Go ahead. I just can't stop asking questions. Go about for this it. Go I'm for fascinated. it. Do it. Um, I'm curious how the girls talked her out of that relationship. How did they do it? There was a lot of sitting down and talk and building up friendship. Mm-hmm. And so we would have, uh, we did a lot of time jumps where they would spend an hour sitting in a meadow with her and getting to be friends and understanding that they couldn't just run in and say, this is, this guy's bad, leave. Right. And she would leave. Um, you know, they slowly talked her into coming back and seeing her family and seeing her friends. And then once she had that connection back with her family and friends going, I do need that. Like, this is healthy. This is where I need to be. But it took them, I think, with all the different time jumps we did, it was two weeks in game. Wow. Of talking to her every single day and slowly working with her. Yeah. Do you find that when you're running uh, games like this that, I mean, because Dungeons & Dragons can deal with, you know, potentially problematic situations kind of often, right? You can get in mm-hmm. situ- So when you're crafting what you wanted to run, uh, what kind of considerations do you make for that? Uh, well, the first thing I did was I let them know that we were going to be doing a topic that was going to potentially be uh, difficult for them. And then I did the... Um, oh, I'm forgetting who created this style where you put an X on a card. And you an put X it in card, the, yeah. There's an X card, yeah. And so I had a few of those out and just said, if at any time, if this gets to be too much, just point to that, we'll go away from it, and no questions asked. Did that, you know, did told, that ever happen in the sessions? Not, not in this scenario. Well, that's good. Yeah. When, what, what, uh, yeah, I'm just curious about what time, if times when that has happened, what's, uh, what's been, you know, the, the situation? Uh, actually, we haven't had anything really hot button come up yet. Um, you know, we had this, you know, kind of good situation. So I'm going to keep trying to push this and giving them different situations and scenarios. But, you know, sometimes they'll get super angry or frustrated with something in game. And I'll try to give up a good five to 10 minutes at the end to process that. Mm. Um, I also know um, Adam and Adam from uh, Game to Grow. And they have a technique where they use the Dungeon Master screen as a prop, you know, and you put it down to process if things are getting too heated. Mm. And so that's something I've also borrowed from them is, if things are coming up and people are having strong emotions, um, we'll put the game on pause. And that's actually happened a few times in the social skills group where they need information and they forget to get the information. They go and they start doing the thing and they're getting super frustrated and they'll be getting irritable around the table. And so we put down that screen and we go, okay, well, what happened? Why are we, and we start to break it down and go, why are we frustrated? And, you know, when they can come to that realization of like, okay, we skipped a step that we needed or we didn't do something, but then I'll give them the option to like, okay, let's retcon it. So let's go back. <laughs> do we love you? And, start again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that helps a lot because this is the chance for them to practice things before they run into them in real life. That's cool. I like that. 
You can't do that in real life. You can't just be like, can we just no, go back, yeah. you know, 48 I hours wish. to before I was a jerk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before I did all this stuff and completely messed up this relationship, can we, can we just rewind that? Okay. <laughs> it never happened. I'm just going to call a do-over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, it sounds like you've been uh, playing for a long time. When, when did you start playing D&D? I think the year I started playing was probably 93-ish, uh, back when I was in middle school. And I don't know what edition we were playing. I don't even know if we had a proper handbook. Mm. Um, we just got you know pieces of notebook paper and drew up character sheets all the time. Uh, one of my favorite things was my friend who was our dungeon master created the spam spell. <laughs> which, if it reduced a uh, enemy to zero hit points, you rolled a percentile dice, and at a certain percentage, it, they turned into a pile of spam. Oh. <laughs> so you got food rations. <laughs> that was such a that's a, such a kid thing. I remember spam yeah. and and yep. Monty Python and all that being such a funny word. Oh yeah, it was so much fun. It was some of my best memories of childhood with them. I was just sitting around the table and trying to tell stories and getting halfway through and going, I don't want to be an elf anymore. I'm going to be a dwarf now. And you know, then <laughs> having it, stopping for a half hour to re-roll a character or something. Oh, nice. Mm. You had that freedom. That's good. Yeah, just switch it up. Yeah, cool. Go through a transmogrifier, and there you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then did you keep playing, or is it something that you got back into, uh, you know, recently? I got back into it recently. So I stopped playing after middle school and high school, and then uh, – it was actually through watching um, Will Wheaton's um, with Ashes of Alcala, Valhalla on Geek and Sundry that right. I was remembering, like, oh, man, I loved playing D&D. And then I started watching Critical Role, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to get back into this. And then when I started playing, I was realizing, like, wow, there's such a therapeutic benefit to playing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, you're, when you play a character, your own stuff can't help but come out if you play that character long enough. And so uh, as a psychologist, I was noticing that. I was like, oh, here's the stuff I need to work on. And then as I was realizing this, I was like, this is such a beautiful tool. I have to be able to use it in therapy. And then I think it was probably a week or so later that I heard your interview with Dr. B. Oh, and no realized, it's like, all right, then it's already being done. I am going to do this as well. So did, did you-, you contact him or, or just you were just <clears throat> inspired by what you had heard him talking about? I had heard him talk, and then I sent him a cold email, and he was kind enough to respond and give oh, me a cool. call. And, uh, now he's a player on the game I uh, GM on Twitch. So, no way. Is this clinical role? Is that your? It is clinical okay. role. Yes, That's, I love. Very clever. Yes. Oh, we, we love a pun. We do. Yes. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I shared it with Matt Mercer actually, and he he thought it was hilarious too. So <laughs> that is great. Uh, uh, so, uh, so that's basically, it's our fault that you got back in the D and D. All right, good. Yeah. I, I <laughs> totally blame you guys and say, thank you. <laughs> Done. Nice. I'll take it. Uh, yeah. Cause it was fascinating hearing, uh, Dr. B and then, yeah, we spoke to, uh, the Adams from, from wheelhouse and game to grow. Uh, they, it, it seems like there's now this, this like network of, uh, uh, psychologists who are using, I mean, cause role play has always been a part of psychology, right? In some ways. Yeah. yeah, drama therapy has been popular, oh gosh, I think uh, 70s is when that really started taking off. Um, the hard part with drama therapy, I think, has always been getting a group to work together for long enough on a specific story or something like that. And d with a framework of telling an art, a story arc, uh, really, I think, brings a new dynamic to that that mm. is fascinating and very, very helpful. So it it, seems, it's it, a great way for therapy. And even though it's a game, it seems easier to uh, c- 
convince a group of adults uh, to do this ongoing story other than mm-hmm. uh, rather than being like, OK, guys, we're going to create a play together or we're going to create a, uh, you know, a, some kind of a fictional universe that doesn't have anything bearing on on, you know, anything. Right. But having D&D as the framework, yeah, I didn't even really consider how that might be an easier sell. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a much easier sell. It's, um, you know, it, it doesn't sound necessarily like therapy to somebody. And again, you can't help but run into your own stuff as you do this. Yeah. So it's a great way to get people to start noticing the things they need to work on and to start understanding things about themselves. Um, even in the game I play, uh, one of my friends recently figured out, like, they're kind of a natural leader. They didn't think that was the role, but of, over the last couple of games and stuff, they're kind of looking and they're going, I seem to like the leadership thing. I never would have thought that about myself. Mm. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah. I had a dungeon master who we played with for you know three or four years. It was one of my longest running campaigns and I was playing a half elf and you know when you're just coming up with background details it was you know oh the my father was an elf who who left and my mother was uh uh this this human uh of of ill repute in a town uh and but she's also gone like she wasn't part of the picture right and I just kind of just Mm -hmm. created that backstory pretty quickly didn't think much about it but he was able to over time like I met those like those characters who came back and I think even at one point he turned to me he's like oh dude you got a lot of issues that we're working on right now and I was like oh I didn't even really think about it (laughs) on my own little uh relationship with my parents and things like that but then I, I started to and it was you know, a, a bit eye-opening. I don't think we, I definitely like you know found anything or, or, or did anything because you know he was uh, a pothead from New York, so it wasn't like he was a, <laughs> clinical, a clinical psychologist or anything that might have might have helped things. But uh, you know, yeah, it is fascinating how you're right. You just end up bringing in parts of your own personality that you don't even realize are uh, important or bothering you even. Yeah, in a way, like you end up being very vulnerable as a player because you know you're again your stuff can't help but come out, and so your dungeon master is going to see that. But also as a dungeon master, like in a lot of ways, you're extraordinarily vulnerable because you're building the whole world, all the NPCs. And so your players are going to see your stuff and how you have your NPCs interact with the world. Yeah. Yeah. When I was talking to uh, uh, Ruben Bressler, when uh, Shelly couldn't make it, I had to talk to him all by myself. Sorry. Uh, but he was a stand-up comedian. Uh, uh, it's one of his many things that he does, and I was too. So we were like talking about like how dungeon mastering is very, very similar in that regard and that... <laughs> You know, it, it is very much you on display the entire time, and people have to understand your stories and understand what you're doing. Uh, and if that doesn't get communicated in the right way, it can very quickly be an unfun, you know, uh, uh, you know, experience for a little while until until yeah. you get back on track. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, what what advice could you give to to dungeon masters who are listening? Uh, you know, not necessarily to. Uh, delve into issues uh, or anything, but like how you know what, what's ways that people can help to read the room, that kind of thing. Oh well, uh, I'll first off do a self plug, and I actually have a series on YouTube through uh, yes. my company Geeks Like Us uh, called Psych at the Table, where I talk about this. I talk about you know if you have a player who's depressed, you have someone who's dealing with anxiety, you accidentally hit on a hot button issue, um, you have that problem player at the table. I'm talking about group dynamics, those kinds of things. It's not to turn anybody into a therapist, but it's more to help dungeon masters out who see a friend who's struggling and to understand what to do and how to help them with that. Um, and if anybody's watched my series, they know the thing that I champion over and over again is just talk to your players. <laughs> if somebody's having a problem or you're confused about what's going on, just sitting down and having that conversation, it's like we want to be able to figure it out without talking to them. It's, it seems to be a very kind of human thing, but 
really, you're not going to know anything until you actually sit down and go, okay, dude, what was that that happened just now? <laughs> right. Yeah, it does seem like you'd rather not have that discussion, but, you know, it's, it's good. That's that, it's clearly good advice. Communication just, is communication. always good. Not just in Dungeons and Dragons. No. In, in all relationships, no. yes. too. Yes, I know. I was thinking that when you were talking. Like, <laughs> that sounds like good advice anyone could yeah. use. Yeah, How yeah. How do you help a friend? <laughs> You know, it's like you want to get better at something, practice. Yeah. And you want to figure out what's going on with somebody, talk to them. <laughs> so have you, like, what was the response like when you said, I'm going to use D&D as therapy, like from, from parents or from your peers? or? Uh, I work in an amazing practice. So I'm at Southeast Psych. Uh, we're in Charlotte, and we also have an office up in Nashville. And one of the things that Southeast Psych is all about is innovation, doing things that are new and exciting. So we do, you know, they're very, very supportive. When I said I want to do D and D as therapy, here's how I want to do it. They were on board and completely supportive and helped helped make it happen. So that was awesome. Um, and uh, to talk to parents. I've done some informational sessions with parents uh, where we've gone over things, and then I um, also send them emails every week now with sit, talking about the things we covered, um, how it went, uh, strengths and weaknesses, and questions that they can ask their kiddos to understand what they're learning and to help cement the lessons that have happened during um like my social skills group right now decided to go to the shadow fell oh Um, (laughs) Oh, dear they had three options that's an interesting conversation to have with the parents well (laughs) your child's in the shadow that was a stealth uh, c-3po uh oh dear (laughs) yes yeah. <laughs> oh, Megan wanted a Bert impression. Well, you might have to throw it at her. <clears throat> I'm just going to, I can't do it right now. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll work <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, it's it. got to just be spontaneous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's what I'm explaining to the parents is the way I'm just get, doing their Shadowfell adventures. Basically, they're going from one archfey to another to another and having to learn what are the norms of this court? What does this archfey like? What don't they like? How do I read a room? How do I understand nonverbal social cues? How do wow. I understand what the hierarchy is and how do I successfully navigate my way through this? Which most of the kids in the social skills group are on the autism spectrum. And so that's something they really struggle with. Yeah. And how do they do in a, in the D and D setting? Some of them do are, you know, it's, uh, some are doing very, very well. Some have a little bit of a harder time, but we do a lot of scaffolding to, um, bring things up. Uh, one kiddo though, he, got it pretty quickly we were in our third or fourth session of the group starting together and they got to their first village and they did the video game thing of i want to sell all my equipment and upgrade (laughs) (laughs) and so we paused the game and you know i asked them all i was like let's think about how your character would feel you know your character has just woken up they don't know where they are they've lost about six months of their life they've been lost confused they're with these strangers who sort of become friends because none of them know what's going on how would they feel how would they react walking into this village and i saw this one kid in the back go oh i need to do what my character would want to do not what i would want to do oh i guess exactly he's my character would be completely freaked out and go hang out in the inn and just try to find some bit of normalcy in the world (laughs) Wow. That's you learned right. something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And in that, that group, no metagaming has kind of become the mantra that they'll do. Is They'll be like, okay, I know what this monster is, but my character doesn't, so oh, I good. can't. You know, and they're, they're actually getting very good at checking them each other on that That's and fun. working together. So, And when they're seeing that somebody's struggling, they are very good to step up and help and you know, uh, go, okay, wait, you're not understanding 
here's how I think this is supposed to go and things like that. So it's wonderful to see. That is. That is pretty cool. And so you want to do a class also that teaches people how to be dungeon masters? I would love to. Yeah. My thought is to do um, some sort of summer camp or something or, or this summer to do, you know, just teach dungeon mastering 101. If, here's how, you know, you have a session zero. Here's things to look forward, building a group, you know, the, some things to remember, encounter building, world building, um, you know, and also I'd like to maybe include uh, how to get it started at your schools, so doing uh, clubs and things at schools. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, we keep hearing more about uh, uh, teachers who are using some of the, the techniques that you're talking about to, to get across not just social norms and things like that, but then, you know, actual history and, uh, uh, you know, English literature stories as well as math and sciences. It's, it's yep. super fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. And like just the basic math with rolling dice. Yeah. Is so much fun. And that's a practice. It's a practice thing, right? So, yeah, if you just do it more and more, you get a little bit better at it each time. Yeah. And you can see some of the kids who struggled with math early on in the games. They still might struggle a little bit because we have more dice now because they've gotten to higher levels. But they're getting so much faster with going, okay, I rolled a uh, 15. It's a plus three. So 18. And, you know, looking, okay, it hits, and then knowing what dice to roll and all of that. So yeah. That's got to make you feel so good, though, like just seeing where they started off and then watching them progress like that. Most definitely. And I love seeing some of the kids step into leadership roles. One of the interesting things I've noticed in the girls' group especially is the role of leader is kind of going around the table. Oh, interesting. Mm. It's not been a conscious thing. or It's just for a few games, one of the girls will be acting as leader, and then for the next few ones, another one will step into that role. That's neat. Kind of yeah. like sharing the spotlight a yeah. little bit. Like yeah. Like D&D. Yeah. Like D&D. Do you know what those girls, like, what they're they're like in their everyday life? I mean, are, are a lot of them patients of yours that you see regularly? Like, would you know, like, well, this person's an alpha female, and it's different to see her taking a back seat to the other girls in the group? Yeah, some of them, I, um, it, it's interesting to see, like, I think in the girls' groups, they're all playing characters that are very close to how they want to be in the world or who they see themselves as. Okay. And so there's the growth is very personal on that level. Um, and so it's very interesting to see them slow down and to really think and to grow and to understand situations in complex ways. Hmm. Do you think that's typical that people tend to play characters that are close to who they want to be in the world? I think so. I think we let, we either play someone who is the direct opposite of right. us or we go for the aspirational self, you yeah. know, the good at everything person who never, you know, misses and is awesome at all times. Yeah, I feel like people do that to start for sure. Yeah. Right. But then it, after you have played, you know, uh, uh, for years and years and years, I think that the, the allure, at least for me, the allure of that kind of diminished. So I, I like playing interesting characters that are not necessarily opposite, but like facets of me that I don't get to, mm-hmm. to see very often, right? So it's, it might be, you know, yeah, right, just to get some variety in there. But it, yeah. I definitely did start off with, oh, this is the Greg coolest Tito ranger 2.0. class that I think is, the, you know, most embodies <laughs> my idea of Aragorn. He's allergic to cats. He's allergic to cats. Yeah. Uh, but really just wants hugs. He likes arrested development. <laughs> 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 I'm going to play edgy ma- edgelord. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I see your uh, uh, Demogorgon statue behind you yes. there. Oh, yeah. 
so uh, this is something that I've been thinking about ever since actually I had lunch with with uh, with Raf with uh, Doctor B, uh, where I mentioned something about uh, insane cultists attacking, and he said, "Oh, you know, don't you know that's that's not a a, a, a medical professional term, insane. It's a it's a legal term, you know." And I think he, I actually yeah. I'm now forgetting what he said. They're like, "Oh, we should use this or something like that." Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, so much of Dungeons and Dragons stories revolve around madness uh, or mm-hmm. or things that you know map to uh, mental illness and things that are like you know a, a real problem here in our world. Uh, what what are what are some more constructive ways we can talk about that in in our D and D games or, or or I don't know, just looking for some insight from you on on that because I think it's not something people always consider. Well, I'd look at. Um the madness and things that we have in D&D more as a loss of will. Mm. So, for example, like the game I did the other week, the woman, uh, she was under the glamour, essentially, of a dragon. And if you think about, like, when we're talking about cultists that have been taken in and are getting ready to drink the Kool-Aid or whatever, they, a lot of times it's mind control, right? You know, it's not their free will has been taken away. Mm. And so looking at that and the importance of free will and just you know, having that agency to make decisions and understanding what that might be like. Rather than rather trying th- to just say like, oh, they're, they're insane, they're crazy, like don't, right. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think there can definitely be encounters and things that we talk about in D&D where like just your ability to understand reality gets shattered. You know, thinking specifically like things that like mind flayers might do and, and stuff where you just hit this point where you you can't anymore and you just break. But the important thing is, is you can heal from that. Mm. And that's what psychologists do. That's what therapy does is we, we help people heal from terrible traumas. Um, one of my wish list groups that I want to start is a PTSD group yeah. where we use D and D to work through, you know, those times where you feel stuck you know, not necessarily to, you know, use D&D as a form of exposure therapy, but more um, giving you agency to work through things again and to go and to feel powerful and to understand that maybe things wouldn't change and, and to help people in that way. Hmm. I, I really like the focusing on the idea of, of agency, too. Like, as you're saying, like, the more I'm thinking about that, it's like, you know, those those cultists or things that you end up fighting, they're not... Uh, the, the, they didn't make that choice necessarily. Yeah, yeah, it right? was just something that happened to them. They got mind controlled. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time, or something like that. Do you think See that empathy. would empathy? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, uh, maybe I'm getting too far in the weeds here, but I feel like that could also lead to, you know, if you have a player who's playing, uh, you know, a completely lawful, good, uh, altruistic character, you know, your entire campaign can suddenly be about healing these people rather than, yeah. you know, taking them out and getting to the big bad, yep. big mm-hmm. bad guy or big bad girl at the end, right? Like you want, you know, so I guess it depends on what kind of game you want to run. If the game is about exploring these ideas and making these things, you know, uh, uh, able to be healed or changed or, or, or you know, finding some um, redemption for these for these mooks <laughs> in any <laughs> other campaign who would just be like swept aside and like, oh, that was that encounter, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't well, know. Well, I think, when you're making bad guys too, it's much more frightening and compelling to have a bad guy who has freely chosen this path and they know right and wrong and they know exactly what they're doing. That's scary. Yeah. That is scary. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's where when you have more of the mindless followers, it can be fun. You know, and I, I'm a big fan now of uh, using kobolds as followers uh, because we, we've got so many from Volos and uh, now. And, um, but also the, that quality in kobolds that they will follow the most powerful thing around. And so if your heroes can walk into a room, they have the opportunity to persuade the kobolds to follow them. <laughs> now, they're not going to be the most loyal followers. Right. Until someone else stronger comes wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's an interesting dynamic where you – I, I try to build encounters where kill everything in the room isn't always the best option. Yeah. Do you notice different play styles with girls and with boys? Like do girls gravitate more to or like they – they want to find out why the kobolds are acting a certain way or they want to tell stories and get to know things. And or The, the girls are much more willing to interact with the world, definitely. I mean, we did a whole session of shopping for ball gowns. Oh, <laughs> so, I could play Which actually was a lot of fun. Um, but they, they loved it. And then we had a whole social encounter of these characters who were not noble trying to go to a ball and act noble and deal with this NPC that they don't really like and try to understand him more. Um Whereas the boys are more like, okay, this has been fun. Can we go kill something now, please? Right. <laughs> I will say that I, my favorite sessions are shopping sessions. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the ones that I find, because it's, you're interacting with the world. You, get to, you yeah. get to see, the and you're forcing the dungeon master to come up with, you know, uh, unless they have mapped out every single shopkeeper and what their backstory is. It's very much an, uh, an improv session at that level. Right? Yeah. And that, that's that's the part that I love, where it becomes more theater uh, uh, than than the D and D game. Of course, you always have objectives like, oh, I want to talk to this fortune teller because maybe I'll get a prophecy that will impact sessions, you know, down the road from now, or you know, I'll get that one item that I might need to 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 do that. But it's how you get the rumors and stories of hooks and and things when you when you know that uh, I, I don't know. I find is the flavor of D and D. And you get to have the fun shop names, too. You get yep. the fun that, yeah, exactly. Which are full of puns, usually. Lots of cool NPCs. Yes, yeah, Bloodbath and Beyond, of course. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never yeah, heard all that the uh, camping supplies are at Rogues, Elves, and Imps. So. Oh, R-E-I. R-E-I. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, that's good. Uh, I like the Bloodbath and Beyond. I really want to go shopping there. Yeah, now. I think we're going to have to work <laughs> that into our campaign. <laughs> I feel like you're going to have to start some more groups here because... It doesn't sound like any of these these kids are going to want to leave their group and make room uh, for the next one. <laughs> it's seeming not. I'm actually hoping to uh, open a few more. I'd like to get up to four or five a week is my hope. I have wow. two right now. Wow. That's a lot of games. It is, but I love it. and It's a lot of fun. So That's great. So are you balancing this with, uh, you know, a normal week of uh, clinical appointments, things like that? Yeah, I try to see about... Uh, 25 to 32 or 33 individuals a week. Um, obviously, if I have to do more groups, then that's going to go down. But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of balance with time, and then also I have a family that I love to spend time with. Yeah. And see, and I think that might be watching. So hi, family. Hi, hi family. family. How old, how old are your kids? <laughs> I've got a 14 and a 15 year old, and then a three and a four year old. Oh wow! You got the best of both worlds there. Yeah. You yeah. Your future. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do they play D and D? The older two do. The younger two got their first set of dice. I bought them at PAX East, and they are very excited to walk Aww. around with their dice and their dice bags. So, Oh, yeah. It's all about the accessories. How was yes. Boston? I heard it was very cold. 
it was it snowed. Yes. <laughs> it was crazy. It was a lot of fun. We I just uploaded the panel talk that we did um, from Clinical Role, the live stream game where we're talking therapy and D&D. So that's on the Geeks Like Us YouTube page. Who else is in the Clinical Role game? Uh, so we have Dr. B, the Adams. Uh, then uh, my colleague, uh, Dr. Ryan Kelly is a player. And then uh, Dr. Janina Scarlett, who wrote Superhero Therapy, uh, Harry Potter Therapy, and I believe Heroes Quest is her newest book. Wow, that's uh, awesome. And then we have a revolving uh, guest spot where we've had one guest, and I think this next game will likely be his last because we'll finish up the arc that he's part of. And then we've got I've got a queue of, I think, four other people that want to play. So it's a lot of fun. My hope with Clinical Role is to make it a time for all of the therapies, therapists who use D&D to have a chance to come and play together. Yeah, um, That was why I started the game initially was I just messaged every, you know, Dr. B, uh, the Adams, and a few other people and said, hey, we're, we're therapists. So that means we're terrible at self-care. We're, <laughs> right. You know, helping everybody else out, but we're terrible at playing for ourselves. So let's play together. Let's, you know, meet once or twice a month and roll dice and tell a story. And so... They all agreed, and then we decided we would stream it, and so that's how that all came came to be. That's so great. That is so cool. I love that this is going to start, you know, just like as we're seeing in education, as we're seeing, yep. you know, in Hollywood amongst creators there, that all of a sudden it's just everybody is going to talk about the benefits of Dungeons & Dragons. And, you know, I mean, I think we're, we're always being like, when is this... Uh, you know, uh, this hobby of ours that we've loved for so long, when are, when are uh, you know, the, the next generation, more kids going to come in? And I'm seeing more and more, as you mentioned, with, with parents, that, like, this is a thing that people really want yes. their kids to be doing rather than looking at a screen or doing some other things. It's this face-to-face practice of social interaction. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's really awesome. It's a lot of fun. And we actually just finished up... Uh, uh, Southeast Psych sponsors a convention out here called AspieCon that's half informational convention for parents and then half like Comic-Con fun convention for the kids and there, we had uh, three D&D tables and they were full all day oh, wow. which was awesome uh, so we were introducing a lot of kids to the hobby and a lot of parents too they were sitting down going oh my god why why am I just finding out about this game now this is so much fun um, but it, you know it's one of the concerns we get sometimes from the parents for kids on the spectrum is like what if this becomes a pervasive interest and you know one of the things we talk about is with people on the spectrum they're going to have a pervasive interest or two that that's part of what being aspie or what being autistic means and why not have a pervasive interest that is pro-social yeah yeah you need to sit down with other people to do it and yeah. that that that's so important I never heard that term before, a pervasive interest, yeah. but I think that was, <laughs> not to bring this back to me and my mom again, uh, <laughs> but that is what's that she, when, when the, you know, back in the 80s, she was like, oh, I had a friend and that's all he did, his son, or her son, all he did was want to play Dungeons and Dragons, you know, and this was before, you know, Asperger's was, was kind of a thing that was talked about. So he, you know, he very well might've been on the spectrum, but that was one of her warning signs was like, that's all he wants to do. All of his friends, all they do is talk about Dungeons and Dragons. And in my mind, I was like, that's awesome. That yeah. sounds really yeah. fun. So I want to be in that group. With his friends a lot. I've been trying to meet people and like this and you keep preventing reading, me from doing and he's so. writing and he's Yeah, he's being creative. Yeah. And, and that kid was Matthew Mercer. No, I don't know. But like, <laughs> like, it could have been any of the people that we are now now yeah. know as being these these uh, uh, amazing creators and dungeon masters who are doing things on their own. So, yeah, I think that's something to uh, not be con- as concerned about. Yeah, no, it, it's so much fun. To, like and like you were saying, Shelley, of just sitting down with your friends, telling a story, doing math, reading, writing. Like, 
it, why is this a problem? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We should we can hope that our kids play Dungeons and Dragons? It's coming around. It's coming around. I hope it's so. happening. I hope so. We got to get together with uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Megan Connell's three and four year olds. Yeah. Like right at the right. I have a four yep. year old. Do you have a four year old? Yep. It's perfect. We'll put them in a group. Oh, perfect. Get clinical, them all together. clinical role junior. Yep. Yes. <laughs> junior edition. My, maybe Edna will be the DM. Uh, she would love that. Uh, how can people find it? You mentioned a whole bunch of things you've been doing. What's, list them all out and where people can find them so they can follow you. Uh, quickest, easiest way to find me is on Twitter. I'm at Megan Seide. It's M-E-G-A-N-P-S-Y-D. And then on YouTube, Geeks Like Us. Uh, the E's in geeks are threes because the regular spelling was taken. <laughs> and on Twitch, uh, Geeks Like Us, again, with the threes. Uh, and we stream twice a month for Clinical Role, and then uh, we're hopefully starting up some other streams soon, but it's just a matter of balancing streaming with family life and yeah. everything else. We hear that, for sure. That's always tough. <laughs> uh, but good, good for you for uh, uh, you know, just getting the word out there, talking more to, uh, to parents and to kids, and uh, yeah. you know, making it a uh, learning experience. Sounds I think it's like great. it's working. So yeah. Good job. It's a lot of fun. <clears throat> I, it, it's one of those things I'm just very excited to be doing and like it's cool to enjoy doing something so much and to see it helping so much. Yeah. You can see the results. It's like yep. tangible. Yeah. It's crazy. We love hearing about it too. So Yeah. Thank we'll you have to have you back on and, and uh, we'll do a, a six month recap of everything that's been learned since yep. then. <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot, Dr. Megan. Thank, Thank you. you bye bye. <laughs> That was a really good interview. What did you think? I loved it. Yeah, I did too. I really like talking to her. I love what she's doing. I love this kind of thing. I do too. I love. I, mean, I love seeing uh, you know uh, more uh, young uh, girls uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. Love it. I know as she's, a way to empower them and, and instill confidence in them and help form those friendships that are crucial at that age. Right. It's really important to have no, a good group of friends. No backstabbing, unless no. it's you know the goblins. Right. Then you can backstab yeah. them right. all you can. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the key to happiness in middle school. Is backstabbing D- goblins D- with D- your friends. And go- Yeah, backstabbing goblins. Yeah, I like Just that. take your aggressions out that way. I like it. But I do. I, I really love and appreciate that. It's good stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, I, if, if you didn't you know, get all of the stuff that Megan is doing, I would look into what she is uh, because it is, it is fantastic. And she's great on Twitter too. She's always out yeah. there. Yeah, she's a big part of that community. Yep. Yeah, for sure, and what it means to them. So make it happen out there. And uh, anything you want to sign off with before we we get out of here? No. Poop. In your. (laughs) Shoop. 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 All right, well, back. Avalon Hill has got some three games coming out now, I guess. Right. Uh, You can find out about all those on. Avalon Hill 2 on Twitter or on Facebook. Yeah. Or follow me at Shelly Moo. I'll tell you things. Just ask her point blank. Just ask me. Yeah. Apparently I just... Are you okay? (laughs) I just dropped the coin. (laughs) It's a very heavy coin. Okay, so these coins... Yeah. Would you actually use this in Waterdeep? Sure. Yeah, you'd pay for it. Yeah. That's like... what, What would you do with it? You would pay someone right. like, all right, this. What is, is that this worth much. right there? Uh, I want to say it's five gold pieces. So like, you'd have to carry that thing around in your pocket. It's pretty hefty, right? Like when we, as adventurers, get uh, rewarded, we get like 
20 gold pieces. We're actually carrying around these heavy things. Well, these are like the bigger coins that are maybe for, for um, you know, richer merchants might have something like this much, but we would have the smaller ones, the, the oh, single have, gold coins, right? That's, but that's what why, I've always pictured. I mean, you know, 5th edition kind of uh, hand waves a lot of encumbrance and stuff. You can use it, but that was always a big part of uh, old school D&D was that like, all right, you've got a bag of 1,000 gold pieces. What are you going to do with it? It's 1,000 pounds. How right. are you going to get it out of the, the, the dungeon? You get a pack elephant. So when I, when I played some old, old yeah, you get a pack elephant, which then your dungeon master like tries to kill or something. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, it, the, the adventure does become how do we get our loot out of the, out of the dungeon <laughs> in a safe way. Yeah. Yeah. Some some groups like that. Some just like to do the story. So right. you know, it's it's it's. That's how I've always. Say la vie. We just assume. Yeah. Next time I play with you, though, I'm going to make you carry this with you at all times. I'll do it. All right. That makes sense. I'm not afraid. Uh, Wear it around f- my my neck. That's what everybody's doing. Have you seen color. Have you seen Access of America? Yeah. She's got hers. And Danny, I, Danny made one. Danny made one. I just sent one to Tanya. Uh, Tanya DePass. She said she's going to make a necklace out of it too. Oh. Yeah. I know. That's really cool. I want to make a necklace now. I'll wear Why not? It. I got some blings now. Do it. It'll be good. Where You can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, but if you want to find out about Dungeons & Dragons, you go to Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter uh, or on uh, the Facebooks, like our Facebook page, or, of course, DungeonsAndDragons.com. I might even say you should download Dragon Plus onto your mobile Do it. unit. Then you have everything a- all in one place. Exactly, right? And then yeah. you get all that free content that comes out bi-monthly, cooking up fresh D&D stories bi-monthly. It's crazy. It. All right. I think now is about time for us to, uh, to kill, us, uh, oh, kill no. off the podcast. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, ah. Ah.